Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Well, good morning and uh, Merry Christmas to the rest of you as well, right? Uh, during Advent, uh, the, the time leading up to Christmas, uh, Maranatha here, we've been looking at the four servant songs in the book of Isaiah. And in these songs, the Lord, through the prophet Isaiah, uh, gives his, his people a glimpse of the servant who was to come. And as we studied these servant songs, we saw how the Lord had prepared and commissioned his servant for a very specific task. This servant was to be a covenant and a light to the people, both Jew and Gentile. And the fourth and final servant song is found in Isaiah 52 and 53. And this is probably one of the more familiar of the servant songs, even if you've never classified it as such. In this servant song, the Lord tells his people how much the servant will suffer for the sake of the Lord's people. The servant of the Lord is the suffering servant. And as I read this text, I'll, I'll be the first to admit that this uh, it does seem like an odd text for the day after Christmas. Why are we looking at the suffering and death of the servant of, of Jesus Christ when we should be celebrating his birth, right? But as we talked about with the kids, the, the birth of, of Jesus doesn't make sense without his death. The, the manger makes no sense without the cross, he was not born simply to be a good teacher for us or to show us how to live moral lives. He came to give his life for us, to die for us, to ransom us, to bear our sins. And this text that we're going to look at today from Isaiah is a bit longer, and so I want to break it up and read it section by section as we approach it. Uh, but just to set the stage for this morning and the suffering servant, I do want to read a few verses. Um, Isaiah 53, verses 5, 6, and 7. Would you stand with me this morning as I read the word of the Lord? Again, Isaiah chapter 53, verses 5, 6, and 7. Reading in Jesus' name. But he, and again, this is the servant, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, O oh Lord God, your word is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. Thank you for these servant songs in the book of Isaiah, this, this glimpse that you gave Isaiah about the true servant, the suffering servant who was to come and to bear our iniquities and our sins even though we had gone astray from you. Lord, uh, lead us back today to your suffering servant. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 
So again, who is this uh, servant of the Lord? For us on on this side of Calvary, uh, this side of the cross and the empty tomb, it's pretty evident, isn't it, right? These verses can only point forward to the Messiah, to Jesus Christ and to his death and his resurrection uh, for us, right? No other servant, not Isaiah the prophet, not Israel, not even a super holy, righteous remnant within Israel, no other servant can bear the iniquities, the transgressions, the sins of one another, right? Only a righteous, a holy, a pure sacrifice could be accepted for sins, uh, earlier this week, you read from the, the of, uh, Acts, right? And the Ethiopian eunuch. And this the the treasurer for the queen of Ethiopia. And he's traveling back from Jerusalem. And as he's riding along in his chariot, he's, he's reading from this fourth servant song from the book of Isaiah uh, 50. Three verses, I think it was 7 and 8. And Philip, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, when he hears him reading that scripture, runs up to the chariot, right, and asks him, hey, do you understand what you are reading? And of course, Philip says, well, I, I don't. How can I understand it unless I have somebody to uh, guide me? And so the Ethiopian invites Philip to join him on the chariot, and Philip has the opportunity to share with him about Jesus. It says, beginning with this scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. Philip knew that the servant song spoke of the Messiah. And, uh, and by the way, this is a, a good uh, time to remind ourselves that, that all Scripture points to Jesus. He is the star of the show. All the Old Testament Scriptures, all the New Testament Scriptures are telling one story. I believe it was uh, N.T. Wright, the theologian N.T. Wright, who calls this the, the grand narrative of Scripture. The Old Testament sets the stage and foreshadows the Messiah, the Savior King who was to come, whom, whom God would send to defeat Satan. And in the New Testament, obviously, that describes the coming of the Messiah, his, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and gives a glimpse of his eventual return. All scripture is ultimately about Jesus, about the Savior, King, the servant of the Lord. And we ought to be reading scripture in that light. And so with that, that long introduction, let's, uh, let's go into the servant songs. And in this fourth servant songs, there's a, a definite flow to the narrative. As we, if we were studying this in a uh, literature class in, in high school, we'd be looking at it in terms of rising action and falling action, conflict and resolution. And as we read this, you'll, you'll find a definite parallel structure to this song. In the middle, the focus is the suffering of the servant. That's uh, uh, the big chunk of this, this text. But it's bookended. It begins and it ends with the servant being exalted. So first, let's look at this servant who would be exalted. This is uh, backing up to Isaiah 52, uh, verses 13 through 15, where it introduces this servant's song. Isaiah 52, beginning at verse 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his uh, form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has been told them they see and that which they have not heard they understand." 
The servant who will be exalted. To exalt something or to someone is to, to lift them up highly in our minds and our hearts, right? To highly value them, to think well of them, to honor them, to respect them. And while we might not use the term exalt, we, we do exalt many people today, right? Uh, sports figures and celebrities, entrepreneurs and politicians, those that we may agree with anyway, right? Um, we maybe exalt a, a grandpa or a grandma or our spouse whom we love. We exalt them. We think highly of them. And the servant of the Lord here in Isaiah would be exalted, would be honored, would be thought highly of by all. And I think this truth is, is really seen in another uh, Christmas passage from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9 says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. Right? Those are, those are verses that we're familiar with, right, that often adorn Christmas cards. The child born for us, the, the government placed upon his shoulders, lifted up in our hearts and in our minds. Honor and respect given to this servant who would, who would bear governments on his shoulders and bring lasting peace to all. But did you notice that while this servant would be exalted, the Lord also said that his servant would not be what was anticipated. The servant would not be what was anticipated. His appearance was so marred beyond that of human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind, Isaiah writes. The servant would not be what the people of the Lord anticipated or maybe even desired out of their servant. And I think the Jews of Jesus' day were waiting for their Messiah to be a, a conquering general, a, a leader of armies who would free Israel from their captivity to the Romans, right? They were probably looking for a king, a king who was like their first king, King Saul, who, who stood head and shoulders above everybody else. And as, as it says in 1 Samuel, he was handsome. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than Saul, that's what the Israelites were looking for, a handsome king, somebody who is strong. Oftentimes we are, we are swayed by looks, aren't we? we? We judge certain faces as kind or wise and others as harsh or cruel. And right or wrong, those, those snap judgments inform our, our, our perspective of that person, don't they? And the servant of the Lord and his ministry and his mission and even, Scripture says, his appearance was so, was so not what was anticipated that, as Isaiah said in verse 15, kings shall shut their mouths because of him. They'll be so struck by the servant that they won't know what to say. I'm sure it's happened to you. It's happened to all of us, right? You're, you're so shocked by something that somebody says or, or does that you're left speechless, right? And that's what's going on here with the servant. His, his mission and his ministry were, were, were so not what was anticipated that they will be left speechless. But yet there is a, a turning point. Some people do understand the mission and the ministry of the servant. And I think that's what the last two lines of verse 15 are getting at. Isaiah says, For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Hmm. I think there are those 
Israel who did understand that the servant has been exalted and as we'll see in the next section, has suffered for them, bearing their burdens and their sins. Some will get it, even if the servant is not what has been anticipated. So the servant of the Lord would be exalted, but the servant of the Lord will also suffer. And this is the reality that's portrayed in the bulk of this text from Isaiah 53. The servant of the Lord will suffer. And first, uh, the Lord through Isaiah says that his servant will suffer humiliation. Uh, His servant will suffer humiliation. Look at these verses here, the first three verses of Isaiah 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. My servant, the Lord says, my servant would suffer and he will suffer humiliation. But this news of the, of the suffering of the servant is, is so shocking. Who is going to believe it? Whom has believed what he has heard from us? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This report of the servant has such a, a astonishing factors contained in it that it would, it would cause the most devout to doubt, right? The humiliation of the Lord's servant would be a tough pill to swallow, and when we talk about the humiliation of the servant, the, the humiliation of Jesus Christ, we, we don't often uh, think of it in, in, in certain senses, right? In our, in our common vernacular, uh, to be humiliated means that we've had our dignity or our self-worth injured by something that we've said, by something that we've done, right? And yes, there is going to be an aspect of that in the servant's ministry, in Jesus' ministry. But most often when we speak of the humiliation of Jesus, the humiliation of the servant, we talk about his willingness to humble himself by becoming man. And that's what Christmas, right? That's what Christmas is really all about. Uh, Jesus, God, the second person of the divine Godhood, laying aside the powers of deity, emptying himself, becoming man. And all the while, he never stopped being God. He never stopped being divine. But he willingly laid aside for a time his infinite power. He subjected himself to the struggles and the toils and the difficulties that are common to all people. He was tempted to sin in every regard, yet he did not, right? In Colossians, Paul describes Jesus as the image of the invisible God in whom all the fullness of deity dwells bodily. He is the Word, the one through whom the Lord God created uh, the universe. All things were created by Him, by Jesus Christ. All things were created through Him, Paul continues in Colossians. And then John says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made through Him, through the Word. That's what's so remarkable about Christmas, about the birth of Jesus, Jesus, God, leaving the throne room of heaven, emptying himself, taking on flesh and blood, suffering disgrace and humiliations, being crucified and dying a torturous death. As Isaiah said, the servant of Jesus Christ would be a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He would suffer humiliations. And ultimately, the suffer of the Lord 
the servant of the Lord would suffer humiliations for you. Now that's uh, what the next three verses here in the servant song say. Listen for the intensely personal language of this part. The Lord says that my servant will suffer for you. Isaiah, if we can go to that scripture there. Um, Verses 4, 5, and 6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The servant of the Lord, Jesus Christ, has suffered for you. Integral to a a right understanding of of these verses is the idea of the servant bearing our sins, carrying our sins. And as we've talked about the identity of the servant uh, throughout this Advent series, we've talked about the reality that no one person can bear the sins of another, carry the sins of another, because each individual has sins of their own that they need dealing with, right? And these verses here in Isaiah allude to to the system of sacrifices under the Levitical priesthood, right? Especially to the lambs that were sacrificed on the Day of Atonement once a year. And each year that high priest, after he would make sacrifices for his own sins... Would, uh, would take two goats and one of them he was to sacrifice and sprinkle the blood of the goats on the altar uh, there. But the other goat would be kept alive and this goat was known as the scapegoat. And the high priest would lay his hands on that goat, confessing all of Israel's iniquity and transgressions and sins uh, and putting it on the people. And you read in Leviticus, he shall put the sins on the head of the goat and then it will be sent away into the wilderness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities. With that, the sacrifices for sins have been made. But as we know, the the system of sacrifices was a shadow of the good things to come in Jesus Christ, the author of Hebrews says. The author of Hebrews goes on to say that it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Instead, we have been justified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Jesus Christ offered himself as a sacrifice for you. The death sentence that your sins had earned you, he paid. He took upon himself. No matter your sin, no matter the guilt that you are feeling, the shame you feel, Jesus died for those sins. And in his blood, we have forgiveness. The servant of the Lord has suffered for you. And the servant of the Lord has suffered these humiliations for you unto death. That's the last part of the humiliation of the servant of the Lord. My servant, the Lord says, will suffer unto death. Look at verses 7, 8, and 9 of Isaiah 53. He was oppressed and he was, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, though he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Again, on on this side of, of Calvary, on this side of the cross, how can we interpret these verses 
in any other light other than the cross. These verses so clearly indicate the suffering and the death that the servant would endure for you. When Jesus was oppressed and afflicted, when he was beaten and mocked and spit upon, he didn't retaliate or fire back. He didn't defend himself or his innocence. He endured it all, suffering death on the cross. And this, again, the suffering and death that the servant endured was all for you. He came giving his life as a, as a ransom for you. He is the lamb sacrificed for you. He is the scapegoat upon whom all of your sins are laid. That's the message of Christmas. That's the message of this little baby born for you. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born for you. He is Christ the Lord. And I pray that, that you on, on this Christmas would be able to receive this message, this, this wonderful gift of salvation. You've probably already received, received a lot of good gifts yesterday and maybe today with your family, right? Socks and cash and books and games and toys and whatever, right? But wouldn't it be a shame if you missed out on the greatest gift ever given? Our suffering servant is waiting to receive you with all of your sin, with all of your guilt, with all of your shame. He has already paid for your sins. Come, receive that forgiveness, that mercy, that love. The servant of the Lord has suffered for you. Amen. There's one final part to the story of the suffering servant. In verses 9, or 10, 11, and 12, the servant of the Lord will again be exalted. Look at these verses here. Again, beginning at verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him to put him to grief. When his soul has made an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. And by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he was because he has poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. The first, the first verse, uh, the first phrase of has always been fascinating to me, interesting to me. It was the will of the Lord to crush his servant. It was the will of the Lord to crush Jesus. We really get a glimpse into the, the heart of the Lord regarding our redemption in these verses, don't we? It was God's will to crush Jesus. And this wasn't some form of divine child abuse, as some theologians have argued, but the death of Jesus Christ for sinful mankind was, was the desire, was the plan of the triune God from before creation. From before creation, before, before God created everything, God knew in his infinite wisdom and knowledge, he, he knew that mankind would fall into sin, ruining this perfect and untainted relationship that we had with our Savior. He knew that, and he was still willing to create us, and he knew, again, before he spoke the universe into creation, into existence, he knew what it would take to bring us back to him. And Jesus Christ willingly subjected himself to that. Uh, in Revelation 13, Jesus is portrayed as the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. Our sin, our rebellion against God wasn't a surprise to him. It was the desire of the Lord, all three persons of the Trinity, to crush the servant. 
And these verses from Isaiah 53, there's also some reference and allusions to the resurrection of Jesus. He shall prolong his days. That might be a a reference to the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The servant of the Lord through his death had won victory over death. Uh, He was perfect, sinless, spotless lamb, right? And he rose victorious over death. He had had no claim on him. The grave could not hold him. He is alive, reigning forevermore. And if Jesus is the suffering servant, who are the the offspring that he's talking about there, uh, that the Lord is talking about, the servant seeing? And we know that Jesus never married, never had kids, even after his resurrection. These children then are you and I. We are the spiritual offspring of the Lord. We have adopted into his family, chosen by him. We have been made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ shed for us. We are children of God. God. And I think there could be a lot more that we could say about these verses in Isaiah about the suffering servant, but I think we'll leave it there. Uh, So that really does bring us to the end of the servant songs in Isaiah. Thank you for being willing to dive into some uh, some Old Testament Texas Advent this tra- this uh, Christmas that are really non traditional Advent to Christmas texts, but, but that's what the, really what the season of Advent is all about, right? The waiting, the anticipating for the, the coming of the Messiah. Those four long weeks <laughs> of waiting, and he's finally here, right? We can celebrate his birth. And, and traditionally, right, Christmas lasts for twelve days. Christmas isn't over; it's just begun right? Uh, That's why we have the 12 days of Christmas song and and things like that. So don't stop saying Merry Christmas to one another quite yet. (laughs) We still have a long way to go. Amen. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for sending your son. Thank you for sending your servant who would suffer for us, who would die for us, who would bear all of our sins and all of our burdens that we might have eternal life. Lord, and we we thank you for that truth. And we pray for all of us here in the sanctuary, Lord, and even if there's one who doesn't know you, Lord, may your word not return void. May it sink in. May hearts and lives be changed according to your word. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.